to Bethlehem. Luke 2, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, and he was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. The word of the Lord. Well, the first thing I want to do is give a shout-out to my young daughter, Maria. If she would come up here for a second, I want people to see the medal that Maria won. She <laughs> ran a 5K uh, yesterday. So <laughs> Maria uh, is in this program called Girls on the Run, and it's about uh, you know building character and self-esteem, and they do this 5K run at the end. And, and we really wondered if she was going to be able to do the thing. They had trained and all sorts of stuff, and and uh, sure enough, she got out there, and she did not walk once, and uh, Lee Ellen led her on, and we were so proud of her. She finished second in her age group. You know, there's something when the underdog, the person that you don't think can do it, does it. We love a good underdog story, don't we? You know, I watched that uh, last night. I was at uh, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. Anyone seen that? Love the dragon. Love the dragon. Great idea. You know, it's interesting. In all those movies, it's always The Hobbit, you know? He's sort of doing his stuff. And they always say, you hobbits are strange little creatures. You know, you're so brave. And in fact, it's The Hobbit that ends up saving the world. It's the underdog that somehow is able to overthrow the main character. But we also have the stories of the main characters who don't make it, right? Does anyone remember the poem Casey at the Bat? No. Big Casey, who stood at the back, who, who sneered at the pitcher. He let the first two pitches go. And lo and behold, pitch three, strike out. Casey has struck out. You know, the story in the Bible, the birth of Christ, is all about little guys and big guys. It's all about success and failure. It's all about what's important in God's eyes and what's unimportant and what's important in man's eyes. And nowhere do we see this clash uh, greater than here, this passage of Augustus Caesar and a little girl named Mary, probably 16 years old. A picture of the underdog with all the odds against her and the might of the Roman Empire commanding her what to do. The story in the end is a story about a king, and it's a story about a queen, the mother of the king of kings. You know, the birth of Jesus may surprise us, the way it came about, you know? Dusty little town in the middle of nowhere, uneducated 16-year-old girl. But the picture of the birth of Christ helps us to see what God is really like. Because God, we see in this process, God did not come to be honored, He came to bestow honor. God did not come needing to build a kingdom, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God came to show us what it would mean to be a people who were loved by him who loved him. Mary was humble, and so she was exalted. And Caesar Augustus was exalted, and so he was humble. 
of this sermon is to do this, to examine ourselves. Because in the case of Mary, she had to become nobody before she could worship somebody. And the truth is, we cannot put Jesus on the throne until we get off the throne first. So in the next three hours, we're going to take a look at Mary and how she did that. I, I, it's so cheesy. My kids give me a, you know, here's not bad to do the three-hour thing again. If it keeps getting a chuckle, I'm going to keep throwing it out there, okay? I'll, I'll take cheap laughs, even because they're laughs. Well, let's look at what Mary did in this process, this journey uh, to Bethlehem. She really had to do three things. Number one, she abandoned her plan for God's plan. She abandoned her plan for God's plan. Number two, she abandoned her reputation for God's reputation. And then finally, she abandoned her life for God's life. Well, let's look at these places. Let's look at number one. She abandoned her plan. Luke 2, 1, it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. A couple things going on here. Caesar Augustus, for you don't know who that is, uh, his, his real name was Octavian. And he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Changed his name to uh, Augustus, which means one who is worthy of worship. And uh, he was, uh, he saw himself as worthy of worship. But the people loved Augustus because there was rioting, there were fights with the outside uh, conquerors trying to take Rome. And he was able to bring the Pax Romana, the peace, upon Rome. Uh, some say that uh, the way he made peace was he took a populace and destroyed it and made it into a wilderness and called it peace. He ruled with fear and might. But they called him Soterios, the Savior, because he saved us. He saved Rome. And he was full of pomp and circumstance. When Julius Caesar was uh, divinized, when he was made into a god, he started calling himself the Son of God. Augustus, the Savior, the Son of God. He gave an edict. A command that the whole world should be registered. Experts say that somewhere between 30 and 45 million people that were under the Roman Empire at that time. And Augustus said, we need to register everyone. Now they usually would only do a census for two reasons. One, we need to see how many fighting men we can muster. And two, we need money. And so we're going to send everyone to their ancestral homeland because it was very territorial and we were going to have them uh, see their uh, land and property, have them declare it, tax them, and also have them show their fealty to the emperor. In other words, your money and your property belong to me. And so this call goes out from Caesar Augustus, and Mary and Joseph begin. See, the problem with Augustine was he thought he was God, and so he issued a decree. But truth be told, God was issuing his own decrees. Let's contrast Augustine with mother, with Mary, the mother of the King of Kings. Now, even some of you might say, the mother, can you really say that? Remember the angel Gabriel? You shall have a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. You know, I bet you if you looked at Jesus, he would look a lot like Mary. Because like mother, like son, God used this DNA. God was as much man as God. And so this mother with the King of Kings, Augustine lived in a palace. But Mary lived in a tent. Augustine was recognized wherever he went. But on this journey, nobody recognized Mary. Augustine gave orders, and Mary followed them. Augustine rode on a 
a chariot, but Mary rode on a donkey. Augustine had an army, but all Mary had was Joseph. See, this was a poor, young couple who had been ostracized from their community. Notice in Luke 2.5 that he went uh, to be registered, uh, Joseph went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. Back in those ancient days, those two things don't go together. His betrothed who was with child. You're not supposed to have a child. You're not supposed to have relations until you were married. And yet here is Joseph and Mary, his betrothed. See, there's only one way, and I shared this last Sunday. There's only one way this could happen, in my opinion. And that's that Mary was thrown out of her house. Because no self-respecting father would take a, let another person take his daughter into his house and not marry her. But notice Joseph brought her into his house, but didn't marry her and didn't have relations with her because he wanted to communicate that what is in my, uh, my fiancé's belly is God. But of course nobody believed them. And so they threw him out. They went to Bethlehem. In fact, the records show that they didn't uh, go back to Nazareth. They spent a couple years in Bethlehem and then went to Egypt. See, when they left home... There was no place to come back to. And so Joseph took her in, a righteous man, and they were heading off to Bethlehem. Think about Mary and these choices she made, you know? Many of you as young women, girls, think about your marriage. Think about that special time in your life that might happen, that has happened. Mary thought about it too. There would come a day when she would be called for by the bridegroom. And with all her friends around her, they would head and she would go to the wedding chamber and there would be great pomp and celebration. But there was no wedding for Mary. Indeed, there were no friends for Mary. There was no honeymoon for Mary. There was no house that she could fix up and decorate. All she had was a baby in her womb and Joseph. And in addition, she was making an 80-mile journey to Bethlehem. Now, I've never been pregnant before, okay? I'm just telling you. But that sounds a little bit painful to be making an 80-mile journey. Shows she had the baby almost right when they got there. I don't care if it's a donkey or walking. That is not comfortable. The truth be told also, they probably took the journey alone. Because no self-respecting Jew from that city would walk with this shameless couple. So they went on the journey alone. Why did they go? Why did Mary go? As I said, she had nowhere else to go, I believe. But I think she went for a bigger reason than that. I think she knew that her life was bigger than the normal life she thought she was going to live. She knew that... Oh, you Bethlehem, that one would come out of Bethlehem, who is to be the ruler in Israel, who's coming forth as of old from ancient days. She knew she had to go to Bethlehem. Where would she live in Bethlehem? She didn't know. Where would she watch over her kid? She didn't know. She simply knew that this was where she was supposed to go. And so with the eyes of faith, she began to walk. Mary had decided... From the beginning, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. Mary made that decision. God, you can have the plan for my life. And 
so God did. And there was great joy, and there was great sorrow. In many ways, we see that Mary is like her son. In fact, I titled the sermon, Like Mother, Like Son. Because Jesus, his coming to the world did not start with an earthquake, but also with a whisper. Augustus had his army and power and image. Jesus had no place to lay his head. Augustus had a palace. He was fighting to consolidate his kingdom. Jesus didn't fight to consolidate his kingdom because it already belonged to him. And so, the Savior of the world chose to come in a 16-year-old girl. Like mother, like son. I remember when we uh, moved to Williamsburg, 1997. We'd already had one child, Mark, and Will was on the way, but my job had transferred me. So we moved to Williamsburg. Uh, no, 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 excuse me. We moved to Virginia Beach. This is 99. Uh, about three weeks before Lee Ellen was to give birth. And something very strange happened. I never have seen this before. When we got into our house, it was like a, a somewhat of a Tasmanian devil-like feel with my wife. I know this, this pale came over her, and this, we've got to fix this place. You know, one of these voices. I'm like, what's going on, you know? She starts freaking out. She's like, She's like, dude, I'm like, what's the matter? I found out it's called a nesting instinct. <laughs> Ever heard of nesting instinct? It's, it's universal. All moms, whether, you know, you name it, if foxes do it, different birds do it, but it's, a, it's an instinct to get a safe place for their child. And as I look at Mary, who didn't know where she was going to live, who didn't know where she was going to be, who didn't know anything, what about Mary's nesting instinct? All she can do is say, Lord, you are my house. Lord, you are my safety. And I will put my trust in you. See, she had already decided to abandon her plans for God's plan. And she had gotten down from her throne so she could place God on his. Mary abandoned her plans. How about you? You may be a Christian, maybe a serious one at that. You're involved with religion. You attend church on a regular basis. People would say your family is Christian. But truth be told, you've got your Sunday, you've got everything else. And it's a don't bother with me, God, on this particular day. I've compartmentalized my religion into one place. But God's not saying that to Mary, is he? Mary, I want all of you. I want all of you. That what it, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to abandon our plan, to trust in God's plan. For whatever comes our way. Mary did it, and we can do it as well. So we must make a decision to take our date book and to put God right across it. Whatever, whenever God calls us, we must make God our agenda. Because God arrives in the middle of our agenda. How do we start doing this? We throw down our plans and we pick up His. A lot of things, I don't know where God wants me to move, but I know how God wants me to act. I don't know how God wants me to do this, but I know who God wants me to be. Make a decision. Start with obedience right where I am. If you're going to walk out this place, you know, we look at Mary and we think, oh, you know, remember the flannel graph? They're so two dimensional. She's just like us. 
with the same fears and the same hopes and the same dreams. But she abandoned her plan for God's plan, and we can too. We can do that now, here, starting with this word. She abandoned her plan, but this brings me to my second point. She abandoned her reputation. Notice Luke 2, 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, Mary had a tremendous amount of shame in Nazareth. Her friends had abandoned her. Most likely her family had abandoned her. Only Joseph had stayed with her. And so they were heading in the census back to Bethlehem. Now David, who was the city of David, had to have relationships there with kin. Okay, in this part of the world, ancient Eastern world, relationships is everything. See, we, we uh, in America, our work is based by our occupation. But over there, it's based by your relationships with people. Matthew seems to make it look like David, uh, excuse me, that Joseph was actually born in Bethlehem and moved to Nazareth. Whatever the case, he would have relationships there. And so as they were going to Bethlehem, the question was, where were they going to stay? We, in our modern sensibilities, think, oh, well, there's a Hotel 6 here, and there's an Econa Lodge here, and I mean, you're driving down the highway, and you've got a plethora of places to choose. But it didn't go that way. Most people didn't travel at all in their lifetime very far. And so when it talks about this inn, I want to suggest to you that actually what is being communicated is a little bit different. See, Jewish hospitality commanded that you would either have a room or part of a room set aside when relatives and friends came into town. We still do the same thing, don't we? We have a relative, you know, we go ahead and we, except the scope was wider than, you know, it didn't matter if they were your third cousin, they were family, and family was was important. David would have had relatives in Bethlehem, if only shirt-tail relatives. And so, they head into town, and they're supposedly going to this inn. The word inn, the inn in, uh, in Greek is katalima. Words only used three times in the New Testament. This time and two other times. When Jesus sends his disciples, you'll see a man carrying water and tell him, ask him, is the room ready for, for Jesus? We're going to celebrate the Passover. And the master of the house said the upper room is ready. Catalina, upper room. That's what it means. There is one other story, though, about an inn. Remember it? Parable of Good Samaritan. Finds the Samaritan lying on the side of the road, picks them up, carries them, puts him in the inn. The story only appears in one place, by the way, in the Gospel of Luke. The word in Greek is padakion. So why is in Hadakion here and over here Catalima when it's always called the upper room? See, we need to understand the perspective in which people are going. We can only understand this passage if we see it through their eyes. I think here's what's being communicated is it's not talking about an in terms of a hotel. It's talking about a relative and their upper room. A place to stay just like we do. And so when we see this story about them coming and giving birth to her firstborn, laying him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn, in the upper room, 
miles that no relatives would take them in. Think about that. News travels fast, doesn't it? The story is out. Joseph found out about the pregnancy. Surely someone else did. Have you heard the latest things going on? And so all the extended relatives are together and talking and gossiping. And there's a knock at the door. And there's Mary and Joseph. And it's very quiet. What do they say? I'm sorry, there's no room here for you. Really? I mean, if it was complete strangers and there was a pregnant woman right outside your door, I believe you could find two people who would say, we'll make space for that. But there is no room here. You know, it's interesting, though. You can't really turn relatives away like that. So what do they say? There is some room, but it's in the barn. It's in the manger. Uh, I'm sorry, it's in the barn. You can find room there. Message communicated. Message delivered. We have a picture of, you know, uh, the baby lowing, you know, the, the cow lowing, the baby awakes. If you've ever spent time in a barn, it does not smell so good. It's, it is not the place you want to bear a child. But there was no other place to bear because they didn't have anyone who watched over them. Think about how Mary felt. You know, she'd already lost her family, but here was the chance to make a good impression with Joseph's family. But she'd already made her impression, hadn't she, before she even got there. No place to stay. Mary was probably crying. Mary was probably lonely. But Mary also was probably saying, you know what, I gave up my reputation some time ago. They said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. See, like mother, like son, Jesus, who was rejected by his friends, even his family, Jesus growing up, being ridiculed as the bastard child who had no father. What was it like for him as a child? He was a man of sorrows, disbelieved, misunderstood, but Jesus abandoned his reputation for his father, didn't he? Willing to come down on earth and be a normal-looking guy with a normal life and die the death of a criminal because he entrusted his reputation to God. I read a story that was written by Andy Stanley about his father, Charles Stanley. I don't know if you've ever heard of Charles Stanley, the preacher in Atlanta, a huge church. He was a, an associate pastor at... Uh, was the First Baptist in Atlanta, I think. He was an associate there. His son Andy, who uh, you know has this uh, big, big church he's involved with, was 13. And here's what happened. The senior pastor at First Baptist was asked to resign. And he did so. And so uh, Charles was filling in the pulpit until they could find somebody. Well, he was preaching, and people started coming. And he had a gift of communicating, and so people started coming. And he was gaining more influence simply from the fact that he was preaching the gospel from the pulpit. Well, some people were very, very unnerved by that. They felt the power shifting. And so they called a meeting. They started politicking to have Charles Stanley removed. And so two weeks before the vote, to hire or fire Charles Stanley... Deacon Myers walked up to the pulpit as the Wednesday night service began. And he started talking about what was going on here. And talking and getting frustrated. 
And he used the word damn. Charles Stanley very calmly walked up to the pulpit and said, you may not use that word in the pulpit. Deacon Meyer said, what do you want me to do? Get out of here or I'm going to pull back my fist and I'm going to hit you. Charles Stanley didn't move. And sure enough, Deacon, what was his name? Deacon Myers reared back and punched uh, Charles Stanley right in the face. And he went down like a ton of bricks. And then he stood up and he didn't go anywhere. He just stared at him. He may not use that language anymore. Deacon Myers lost control. He walked away. And Andy said, that was the day that my father became the senior pastor of First Baptist Church. He stood his ground for what was right. He gave up his reputation. If somebody hit you like that, how would you respond? Say, I'll hit back. Now, he knew what he was about. And so he acted with integrity, and so did Mary. Truth be told, have we made a decision to lay down our reputation? along with our plans. How's it going with what drives and motivates me? Is it my boss? I have to present this image to my boss. I have to be there first and show up late and do all of the things because I'm enslaved by this opinion of me. Maybe it's my children. You know, I'm driving them from place to place to place to place because I cannot bear for them to be disappointed with me. Maybe it's the ladies in the group where I play bunko or the guys at the gym. See, one's got to go. My reputation with God or my reputation with them. If you don't let go of your reputation, you'll always live in fear because you will never do anything great for God because you'll always be afraid of the gods that you've made around you. So you have to lay it down. Like Mary, you have to say to God, my reputation is yours. And I will find myself in your approval alone. First John 1 John 1.12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, John 1.12, he gave the right to become children of God. You have, if you are a Christian, the God of the universe who loves you. You don't need anybody else to love you. But what we get the opportunity to do is lift up his reputation. Because we don't need our reputation to be out there. We live for an audience of one. Mary did, Jesus did, and we can too. This brings me to my final point. Mary gave up her plans. She gave up her reputation. Finally, she gave up her life. You know, kings have thrones, don't they? I bet Augustus was a nice one. Jesus had a throne. It was called a manger. But before Jesus was born, he even had another throne. And her name was Mary. See, Mary was the throne who physically carried Jesus around, hidden in her belly. And so she lifted him up and served him while, she, while he was in her. He was, she was his throne room, taking care, watching over like a mother, nesting and doting over their child. You know, it was Mary who decided at some point, I will live for this one. My son, my savior. He's first. Imagine having a child who was your Lord. And Mary had to watch day after day as Jesus was picked on. And stones were thrown at him. 
and everything was going on, full well knowing at some time that a sword would pierce his side and pierce hers. She got to watch her son be crucified and also to rise. You know, where do we get that strength? Where do we get that strength to make God the center of my life, to be the throne for God? Jesus said that those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength. When Jesus made the decision to give her life to God, God gave her the strength to carry the Christ child. The scriptures are very clear that if you are a Christian, God's spirit lives in you. And no less than Mary, you are the throne room of God in which he lives by his spirit. As you walk around, as you go to school, as you go to your job, as you go home, you're carrying someone inside of you. Don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? He has transformed you into his kingdom, his place where he rules. See, we don't live for ourselves, Christian. We're no different than Mary. Like Mary, like son, like us. Jesus lived for his Father. Mary lived for Jesus, and we live for Jesus too. You know, truth be told, I frankly kind of like Caesar Augustus' life, you know? Big throne, whatever I wanted to eat, people cheering for me. That's a good life. If I'm not careful, I'll end up living that life. You know, a lot of pastors start living that life, and you know where they go. But God said that if you follow me, that if you wait upon me, you will renew your strength. God gives you the power to lay down your life. He gives you the power to lay down your reputation. He gives the power to lay down your plan. All you have to do is ask. But you must come as Mary. You don't come as Augustus. Only way you can put Jesus on the throne is when you get off of it first. Jesus wants all of you. So you must make a decision. Today, am I a Christian? If you are, you've made a decision to give up your plans, to give up your reputation, and to give up your life. And day by day, moment by moment, you will be called upon to do it again and again, just like Mary on that journey. Mary finished the journey because she trusted the grace of God. And we can finish our journey, whatever your road you're on, no matter the difficulty or the hardship, the abandonment, to live the joy of the Lord because He is your strength. Go ahead and get down on Him, off His throne. Put Him up. Celebrate. And watch God do something miraculous with an ordinary life. Augustus or Mary? I'd rather be Mary than Mary. My guess is you would too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of Mary, a woman after your own heart. We thank you for what you did in her, first that you came to us through her, but you gave us a picture of someone who was submitted to God. Lord, help us to be challenged by her example. Lord, help us to cross the Rubicon in terms of our plans and our reputation and our life, to lay down our life that we may pick up yours. To live for the audience of one. To trust in you, and you will make our path straight. By the grace of God, we know that we can't.
because you came to bring dead people to life. Let that be us, Lord. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.